evening. This lecture will be Bezrat Hashem Le'ilun Nishmat Roman Ben Liza and Chacham Aaron Ben Lea, Chacham Abraham Hamra, Yosef Ben Miriam, Ovadia Nasri Ben Rachel, Esther Bat Latifa, and Hatzil Le'afuat Le'afuat Shlema Le'yuta Ben Adel. מציאת סיווג לסלמן בן רוזה, להצלחה. להצלחת כל המשפחה. סקסס אוף דה אופן. טוב, ברוך השם. און שבת, נסתרנטו talk about the journey of אברהם אבינו. First father of the Jewish nation, Avraham Avinu, Avraham Ha'ivri. The name is Avraham Ha'ivri. Ever means one side. So if you go Me'ever Lanar, the other side of the river. Why Avraham is called Avraham Ha'ivri? That's where the language came from, Ibu. Ivri, Ibu, Ivrit. Why? Because the whole world were wicked besides him. There were probably many millions of people. We don't know exactly how many people. We're talking about 3,600 years ago, approximately. There were not billions, but there were many, many millions of people. Now, one of them was righteous, besides Abraham Avinu. And one made him righteous. There was no Torah yet. Even though he already kept all the Torah, because Hashem already gave the Torah, the laws of the Torah, some of it to Adam, some of it to Noah. Abraham already had that Shem, Shem, the son of Noah, already had yeshiva, Shem forever. The first yeshiva in the world was 4,200 years ago, before the flood. Right? It was already there, Shem forever, after the flood. So that means, what did they learn in that yeshiva? There was no Torah, the Torah that we got, it would be 900 years later. They didn't have the actual written Torah, but they already knew all the commandments. One of the indications for that is, as you can see, that Noah already knew to tell the difference between pure animals and not pure animals, and the only way to know it is by, by having the Torah. This was 900 years before. How did Noah know to take seven of the pure animals because he wanted to sacrifice later to Hashem? He had a lot of alachot here. So you see, that the information was already here before we actually got the Torah. Also, we got Shabbat before we got the Torah. The nation of Israel were commanded to keep Shabbat before the Torah was given. So we see, Baruch Hashem, the words of Chazal that Hashem already had the Torah 974 generations before He actually created the world. Those words of Chazal is reality. It's not just some kind of, you know, parable. So, what do we have now? We have Abraham Avinu, he's on one side of the world and everyone is on the other side. What makes him so righteous? Few things. One, he's a searcher of the truth. In order for you to be righteous, you always have to be busy searching what's right and what's wrong. The way to do it is to learn Jewish ideology. Ashkafa. How do you learn Jewish Ashkafa, the ideology? You, you simply read today the Torah, you see what Hashem loved, what he ate, when he 
complimented people, when he rewarded people, when he punished people, when he forgave people, when he did not forgive. You learn from it a lot. You see what to do, what not to do. You see who Hashem loves. You see who he hates. You learn what sins it's easier to forgive than others. You learn about the value of a kind person, generous, pers charitable person who likes to do act of charity and help and be kind, chesed. All of these things, many of them you learn, we learn from Abraham Avinu. Abraham is the symbol of chesed, ish a chesed. Abraham Avinu. You know, so it's very interesting. You know? It's very interesting because if you look at the name of Ram, it's Gimatria 248. The number of the commandments in the Torah is 248, meaning the positive commandment. And the body of a person has 248 organs and 365 ligaments, meaning each ligament belongs to a restriction in the Torah. 365 restrictions, each restriction connects with the ligament and 248 positive commandments, each one of them connects with positive mitzvah of the Torah. So Abraham Avinu, Gimatria Ramach, 248, Gemara say, kept all the mitzvot. One mitzvah, he didn't keep yet until Hashem actually commanded him, it's mitzvah Brit Milah. If you already knew there's such a thing Brit Milah, because the Torah was already given, why didn't he run to do Brit Milah? Why he had to wait until Hashem came to him and said to him to circumcise himself and circumcise his children and circumcise all the servants he bought in the market? And that's when Abraham Avinu did it. The question is, when Abraham finally did it, who was his sadak? Well, he didn't have a sadak. He wasn't a baby. A baby needs a sandak, right? A baby has a sandak because somebody needs to hold the baby. But some, some adult, when there, when there is an adult, like some of these uh, Russian immigrants, they came to Israel from a communist country and nobody was there to circumcise them. Some of them were circumcised as 40, 50. Obviously, it's like an operation, a surgery. So Abraham Avinu was the Moel, he actually circumcised himself. And the legacy of Brit Milah, this mitzvah, started already back then until today, 3600 years of circumcisions all over the world. Circumcision is the second mitzvah in the Torah. First one was to get married and have children, multiply. The obligation is for men only, meaning a man, he has an obligation to have at least one girl and one boy. Women do not have an obligation to have kids, but how a man will have kids without a woman? So she become a partner to the mitzvah. But I once explained that if a woman say, I don't want to have kids, I don't know, I'm sick, I'm weak, I was abused, I don't, I don't know, whatever the case may be, it's how to force her, because if she's not obligated, what are you going to do? You take her to bed in and force her? You can't force someone that is not obligated. Same thing, you cannot force a goy to keep some mitzvot if he's a goy. Not obligated to do it. 
So Abraham Avinu got the second mitzvah, Brit Mila. Question is, why didn't Rashi do Brit Mila before? The answer is because we have a rule in the Torah, Gadol HaMetzuve Ve'oseh Yoter Mishe'eno Metzuve Ve'oseh. Translation, if someone volunteered to practice a mitzvah, a commandment, it's not obligated. He does it anyway. He gets a reward for it. If a woman learns Torah, she's not obligated. She gets a reward for it. Woman keeps all kinds of mitzvot that only a man is obligated, she's going to get a reward for it. However, the reward of the woman will be less than the reward of the man that he is obligated to keep. For instance, he puts tefillin, he has resistance, yetzalara. If he doesn't have an obligation to put tefillin, there's much less resistance. The yetzalara doesn't attack him. As a result of that, when there is less resistance, the reward is lower. When there is higher resistance, the reward is much, much, much greater. So, Baruch Hashem, because Abraham did, this is a mitzvah that you can do only once in your life, only one time in your life. And uh, Abraham Avinu knew if he will already do it when he's not obligated, then later on he will never be able to do it when he becomes obligated. One of the conditions for a person to be Jewish, he has to be circumcised. That's why all the converts, when they come, they must get circumcised unless they were already circumcised in the hospital when they were babies. Many Gentiles are circumcised already, regardless of religion. And what do you do in that case? How can you perform with Milah to someone who has no Olah, who is already circumcised? The answer, the Arachah said, the Torah says, just take one drop of blood, this blood actually, actually makes the covenant official between this convert to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Some people, very rarely, are born circumcised, like Moshe Rabbeinu. They're born with no Ola. Maybe, I'm surprised. He doesn't need Brit Mila. What do you do in that case? There's nothing to cut. Same thing, you take a needle, you make a little drop of blood, and that's the Brit Mila. Brit Milah, it's one of the mitzvot that has mazal. I will clarify. From uh, 613 mitzvot, 613 commandments altogether in the Torah, some of them has good luck, and some of them does not have good luck. Don't look for logic. Most of the time you won't find it. I'll give you an example. There is a mitzvah mezuzah. It has a lot of mazal. Almost all secular Jews in the world include atheists. They have mezuzah in their home. Why would a person pay thousands of dollars to put mezuzot in his beautiful mansion here in Long Island or I don't know where, where they say I'm an atheist? It's a little bit strange, no? A good mezuzah in store today is about $150 plus tax. And some mezuzot can be $300, depends on the depends on the size. I get them from Israel for half a price. People pay half a price, they save a lot of money, especially if they need a lot. But in the stores, they have rent, they have workers, they have taxes, they have a lot of things over there. They have to make a serious profit over there. So it's expensive. 
person has a nice house in Long Island where he needs 40 mezuzot, and each mezuzah will cost him approximately $200. It's $8,000 right there. Why would an atheist that married to a Goya will put $8,000 mezuzot in his door or even $4,000? Let's say he gets cheaper ones. Why would he do such thing? Doesn't add, that doesn't add up. Do you go to buy something you don't believe in? Apparently, yes. You can see that this mitzvah has mazal. I'll give you another mitzvah that has mazal. What is it? Tefillin. Many secular Jews in Mechalele Shabbat put tefillin every day, or at least almost every day. Why would a secular person that declared that he doesn't believe in God, or he doesn't care, or he has no Yad Shamayim, agree to put tefillin and say Shema Yisrael? Mitzvah that has mazal. Brit Milah, although it's against human logic, what secular woman that is mechalelet Shabbat, completely not modest, will agree to take an innocent baby eight days old and cut a piece from his body? Tell her, cut his ear. Would she agree? Cut a little bit from the ear. Will she agree? No. Cut his uh, gums. Will she agree? No. Cut a piece from his lips. Will she agree? No. Nothing. She won't agree to cut any piece of meat from his, from his uh, body. All of a sudden, circumcision, not only she agrees, she cries, she takes pictures, she's so excited, she dresses nice. How can it be? Mitzvah with mazal. Almost all Jewish people in the world circumcise their kids. Not only that, in communist Russia, I heard many stories of people who walked they got them well to walk in the snow in the hidden days. I mean, it was very difficult because it was against the law to do Brit Mila. Somewhere used to walk three days in the forest in the snow to arrive to the Brit Mila on time. They did it in a basement that nobody should know about it. Why? Just not to miss Mitzvah Brit Mila. I actually gave a ride to a Moel, Russian Moel, that told me that he used to walk like this in the snow up to his hips. What? Just to get there on time to do Brit Mila. And remember, in Russia, almost everyone was a communist. Communism means anti-religion. Why would many of them do Brit Mila? Some of them didn't know about it. That's why a lot of Russians are not circumcised. Not because they didn't want, they just didn't know about it. They never heard of it. But those who heard about it, they were willing to risk their life to do it. This is a mitzvah that has mazal. Some mitzvot does not have mazal, such as Shabbat. The most important thing in life, thing that a person can lose his eternity, can lose his Jewish identity, can lose his relationship with God completely, can be punished for eternity, with the worst punishment you can imagine in the afterlife, and 80% of the Jewish people in the world do not even care about Shabbat. For them, it's a regular weekday picnic. Most of them are not aware of what they do, but this is a mitzvah without mazal. 12 million Jews at least are mechalele Shabbat, from 15 million. What is it? Mitzvah without mazal. Very important mitzvah. More important than you should not kill. Bigger punishment than to murder. If you mechalel Shabbat, you get bigger punishment from Hashem than to kill someone, which everybody understands the importance of that. Mitzvah without mazal.
טהרת משפחה, family purity, one of the most important thing, and it's mitzvah without mazal, husbands live with their wife without mikveh, after a period, she doesn't go to mikveh, she stays pure, it's equal, in case you didn't know, to have relationship with your own mother, being together with your wife, before she went to the mikveh after a period, it's equal to have relationship with your own sister or your own mother. That's how serious it is. And this mitzvah has no mazal. So many thousands of women and men live together, some of them even traditional, you know, and they, and they don't go to the mikveh. Why? They don't understand the significance of this horrible sin, which is a cut, permanent cut for the soul. Person be cut from the eternal life, just for that alone. So, here you go, you see now, there are some mitzvot that there's no mazal. They're very important, they're very critical, they're the most important in the eyes of Hashem. For some reason, they have no mazal. Meat and dairy, mitzvah with mazal. Most chilonim don't eat cheeseburger or you should not eat pork. Mitzvah with mazal. 90% of the Jews in the world do not want to eat pork. Complete communist. Come, I'll give you chazir. Go in Israel, ask them. You want chazir? 90 out of 100 will say you out of your mind. Always going to be wicked people that will do everything. But it's mitzvah with mazal. So you got the point. Brit milah, it's mitzvah with mazal. Why? Because they had all the reasons in the world to oppose Brit milah. Why would you want to attack a baby eight days old and cut a day from his, cut a piece from his, uh, from, his, from his body? If you remember a few times in the past, I told you this amazing story about the Muel Abu Af. You remember this? That's why he's still alive. There is a famous Moel in Israel. His name is Rav Abu Av. And one time he get a phone call. This was 20 something years ago, this story. 20 something years ago. He gets a phone call from a leftist from the north of Tel Aviv, where all the lefties live. And she calls him up. Are you Moel? Yes. I would like to invite you Please, to do Brit Milah to my son. When is your son was born? Four days ago. What are you waiting for? Why didn't you call me before? I don't know. We didn't even know if we want to do Brit Milah. We decided to do. When will it be? Sunday. Okay, this is our address. Please be here at 8 o'clock in the morning. Top. He gets there, the Moen. He comes to a nice house, private home. See one car in the driveway and no other cars in the area. Empty street. So one kind of breed, nobody can. What can happen to me? He knock on the door. This woman opened the door, Israeli leftist, totally not religious. She said, Oh, you're the rabbi. Nice to meet you. Good morning. So the baby is in his room in a crib right there. You have an envelope on the table, when you're done, you can have it, it's for you. And I, would I added more money to the envelope 
if you would agree after you finish to stay extra half an hour until my babysitter would show up at nine. He didn't understand. What? Where is everyone? No, my husband is not here. He's away on business trip, and I have to rush to work. She left him over there and left. <laughs> she already used him as a babysitter. Married as a fact. He goes to the room, he sees this poor baby. He said, I never had such a brit milah like this. I was the sandak, I was the moel, I was naming the baby, and the baby was screaming while I'm holding him after I cut the ola. And my tears fell on his tears, on his face. He was crying from pain. I was crying about the situation of the Jewish nation. How bad it became. That this woman doesn't even understand the significance of Brit Milah. Before she left, he told her, you said that you're not sure if you want to do Brit Milah. What made you decide in the end that you want to actually do it? She said, we thought that when he's going to be 18, he will join the army in the showers. We don't want him to feel different than all the other soldiers. That's the only reason. Meaning, if there was no army, they wouldn't even dare to do with Milan. Nothing for, nothing for them. So, the babysitter showed up. He left. 13 years later, 13 years later, he get a call. Are you... The Moel, yes. You remember 13 years ago he came to Tel Baruch, to a house in the address such and such, and he did Brit Milah to my son? How can I forget? There's not a day I don't think about that Brit. She said, well, maybe you can help me out. My kid is becoming crazy. <laughs> you know, the story, it's really funny if you really think about it. It's like someone that has a beautiful, expensive cheese on the kitchen table, and he called the cat from the terrace, come watch the cheese until I come back. Imagine asking the cat to watch the cheese that nobody touched it. That's more or less what happened over here. This genius woman, she called the rabbi, she said, my son becoming crazy. I don't know. All of a sudden, he starts to talk about religion. He said he wants to go to religious school. Maybe you can come talk him out of it. <laughs> He's the only religious person I know. Maybe you talk to him that he should go to regular school to start with his nonsense. He realized that there is something deep. He started to be in touch with that boy. In the end, he convinced them to move him to yeshiva. He came, Baruch Hashem, Haredi, Tzadik. That Neshama got saved. No question in my mind, the tears of this Moel that mixed with the tears of the Brit Milah was not ignored by Hashem when the time came. This is a story. I actually told that story when I was in Eretz Israel two or three months ago. There's one very famous holy Moel, Rabbi Yitzhak HaKohen, Yerushalayim. He was with Chacham Ovadia Yosef, Rabbi Zionado Shaul, Avades, all the Chachamim, he was their Moel. The biggest Sfaradi rabbis in the world used it. And he himself is a huge chacham. And has a big yeshiva in Yerushalayim. Probably in his 80s. When I told that story over there, he's a moel that did thousands of Brit Milah in the last 60 years. Thousands. Cannot count how many. 
So he said to me, wow, I know the Muel Abuav personally. We're good friends. <laughs> I actually told it to the Brit Milan story. So he's still alive, Baruch Hashem. So this is just to give you an idea about Brit Mila. Mitzvah is against human logic, but it has mazal. For whatever reason, many Jews will give a lot not to miss this mitzvah. One interesting thing is, one of the proofs that I show in Torah and science film is vitamin K in the blood. Vitamin K in the blood. The baby, when he's born, has a little bit vitamin K in his blood. But every day goes. Today, a little bit, tomorrow a little more, the next day a little more. By the seventh day, the vitamin K reached 100%. What do you need vitamin K? It helps to clog the blood. If someone gets cut, Vitamin K makes the blood close the hole. Without it, some people have this problem. I remember when I was a kid, the teacher once announced, if you ever see this kid, I don't remember his name, if he ever get injured or is bleeding, immediately run to tell us. Why? He doesn't have this ability for the blood to clog. So in one hour he can be dead. All the blood will spill out and finish. We, Baruch Hashem, our blood is uh, very smart. As soon as it begins to come out of the skin, he knows to make a black on the wall, get dry, close it, and prevent us from dying. I once said in one of the seminars, Hashem gave me an idea. I say, you know what? If you take five liters of blood, five liters of blood, you put it in a balloon. You know those big balloons? It's full of blood now and you take a tiny needle and you make a hole in the bottom of the balloon and the blood begins to drip, right? The blood that comes out of the balloon will close the hole of the balloon or will continue to drip until all of it will be on the floor? What do you think? The answer, it will not close any hole. It will drip and drip and drip for, for hours, until now one drop will remain in the balloon. What tells the blood when it's inside the body, when it begins to drip, immediately within a minute or two to close the hole. But if you put it in a bag or in a balloon and it begins to drip, he will not know to close the hole. Who told this liquid called blood how to behave? Laws of nature, you make a hole in the bottom of any bag or a box or anything like this, gravity will make sure that all the, the liquid will drip until nothing will be left. You understand that, right? How come it applies to all kinds of containers, but it does not apply to the body? If I cut you in the bottom of your hand, a big cut, and it's going to begin to drip and drip and drip, after two, three, four minutes, you're going to see the blood becoming dry and close the hole just like cement. The answer, you can see a divine intervention here. You know, you see, you see supervision of Hashem. On the eighth day of the life of the baby, who knows how much vitamin K he has in his blood? There's only one day in his entire life that the level of vitamin K goes up to 110%. 
Every other day in your life, it's 100%. One day in your life, it's 110%. Extra. What, what is it? The eight day. Now that 100% is not good enough, it's also good enough. So if you circumcise a baby on the seventh day or on the tenth day when it's only 100%, it's also good. But the idea is that now it's going to be extra sufficient. Why? I'm giving you extra 10% of this material. Why? That no, not too much blood will be wasted. You can see obviously that this is a divine mitzvah. Now who knows why you would do Brit Milah in the eighth day? We all know that Hashem loves number seven very much. Everything in the Torah is seven, seven, Shabbat seven, Shemitah seven, Yovel seven times seven, a holiday seven days, Sukkot, Pesach, everything seven, seven, seven all the time. Noah wanna sacrifice seven pure animals. Everything goes with seven. The question is, if Hashem loves seven so much, why didn't do the Brit Milah on the seventh day? Wouldn't it be better? What's the problem? You make 110% vitamin K on the seventh day. Why did you make sure that the Brit Milah has to be on the eighth day? The answer is seven. Why Hashem loves seven so much? Why everything in the Torah is seven? Because seven is going out of the materialistic world into a spiritual world. Every material has six dimensions. Up, and down, south, north, east, west. Up and down, it's all four directions, it's six dimension. Every material, you can look at that from six directions. Seven symbolize the exit out of the material into a spiritual, eternal world. Watch number eight. The shape of eight is eternity. Meaning, if you go on the highway in the shape of an eight, and you drive straight, big eight, it's 100 kilometer on, in the desert. From the satellite, it looks like a big eight, but it's very long. It's like 100 miles. You keep driving straight and straight and straight and straight, and it will never end. There's no end to that highway. Why? Because you're going in the shape of an eight. Some scientists claiming that space is in the shape of an eight. All these trillions of galaxies, if you go with a galaxy, right, if, if there was a way to take a spaceship and put some nuclear energy in it, nuclear. Nuclear is good enough, you can travel for a big, big size of nuclear energy. And the spaceship will go and go and go and go and go forever, years. It will never finish space. You will not reach a place that it will be, okay, up to here, that space, from there on, there's nothing. There's no such thing. It's just endless. Endless. Without boundaries. Some say, how can it be? Every creation has to have a shape, a size, a border, an edge. The world, until 400 years ago, until 500 years ago, everybody thought that the world, most people thought that the world is flat. Do you know how many people were busy all their life looking for where the world ends? That we should fall to space? Where is that cliff that you come to the edge of the earth 
And if you make one more step, you'll fall in space and you fly forever. Then that's going to be the end of space. Where is that edge that we should make a big wall around it so that nobody will fall? But today we know that the earth is round, so we don't have that, uh, that, that problem. But seven, as I said, is coming out of material. Eight is eternity. When a Jew is circumcised, is entering the eternal nation. The nation that has a spark of God into their soul that will never die. The same way God will never die, no Jewish soul will ever die. But there is another reason for it. Why did Hashem choose that the baby will be circumcised in the eighth day? The answer is that he should always have at least one Shabbat before he is going to be circumcised. One Shabbat has to pass the holiness of Shabbat after. So if it would be only seven days, then if you're born on Shabbat, you won't, you won't have it, the full Shabbat. So eight days, for sure, in the eight days, one of them would be Shabbat. So you will always have at least one Shabbat in the world before you were circumcised. Now, Abraham Avinu, as you can all see, is not just a regular person. He has few unique skills about him. First of all, he always searched for the truth. No matter what, he checked everything that the Goim used to do, all kinds of idol worshiping, all kinds of ceremonies they used to do. That's not God. The tree is not God. The moon is not God. The sun is not God. None of this. So, where is that God? I have to find him. He was busy searching for the creator of the world. Most of the going today in the world don't care about God. They are now wasting a minute of the year to search for him. Even though they look at the creation and if you ask them, who do you think made the world? They will tell you somebody amazing, superpower, brilliant, with no limit, obviously to make such a world. But who is he? I can care less. Did you ever ask yourself what you're doing here? Not really. What's the purpose of your life? To make money, to be healthy, to have relationships, to go on trips, to enjoy art, to enjoy beauty. That's more or less what you're going to hear. To be an athlete, to look good, to eat healthy, to run in the gym, to do plastic surgery every week. Everybody with his own dreams. But nobody, nobody even cares. No one is busy searching. How many going you find that? What are you doing? I'm busy searching. What? Where is this God? Why did he put us over here? Why he made Jews? Why he made Gentiles? Why there's Chinese people? Why there's Arabs? Why does everybody look different? White, black, this, all kinds of things. What's going on with doesn't check, does not investigate, does not care. He's in a level of a dog. person like this is no better than a dog or a pig. A dog and a pig, all they care about is to enjoy the moment, like all other animals. The rhinoceros, the elephant, everybody, the cow, all day eating, laying down, rolling on the grass, enjoying. That's all they want. 
In Hebrew there is a safe for it. Achol v'shato ki machar namut. Eat and drink because we're about to die. Meaning before we die, grab as much as you can. That's the purpose of almost all secular people and the goyim. That's it. Grab as much as you can. Money, it's the God. The more I have of it, the more God is in my hand. That's how they think. Let me explain what I mean. Why almost everyone is so greedy for money? Why people fight every day for money? Why people all they care about is money? Why people all they dream about is to have money and power? Two reasons. Main reason, money supply physical pleasure. Supply a good bed, supply good food, supply delicious meat, supply the best car, supply the best fine clothes, supply the most beautiful watch, supply the prettiest girl. If you don't have where to live, she doesn't want you. If you live in a beautiful mansion and drive a $200,000 car, she's gonna call you every two minutes. Why? She wants that life. So money open doors. Money make life easy. Money take away stress. You don't have to worry about the bills. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have this, you don't have that. Money make life easier. Nobody can debate that. It's easy. It's obvious. The more money you have, the easier your efforts in life, in everyday life will be. Of course, money cannot take away sicknesses. It may get you a good doctor. But if God decides to make you sick, trillion dollars will not help you. Money does not bring happiness, like most people are mistakenly thinking that money will make them happy. Most rich people are depressed on Prozac, or smoke grass, or use cocaine, or use heroin, or use all kinds of other antidepressant medicine. Why is it? The answer is money does not make you even 1% happier. It only makes your life more convenient. And as a result of that, people do not want to deal with the stress of fighting to get what they want. They want good food, but they don't have money, so they have to struggle now. They want a nice car, but they don't have money, so they have to take a bus. They have to sit an hour until the train comes, this, the headache, like sardine. They don't want this kind of life. Especially if they grew up in a family that had money. That's a death sentence if you take them out of their mansion in Jamaica mistake and you put them in a tiny apartment in Rico Park. One bedroom over there with not such great neighborhood and who knows what else. That's a death sentence for them because they got used to this kind of lifestyle and now it's a serious downgrade where they suffer every minute of their life. Why? because they don't have the convenience there. They have to work harder, they cannot just lay down, they cannot just eat and enjoy and not worry about how, how am I gonna make the payments. So bottom line, Rabotai, that's why everybody runs after money. But there's another reason for money. You may think that if that was the only reason for money, that people just wanna buy luxury and pleasure, then you would be good up to a certain amount. Meaning if you already have $100 million, you will relax. You have enough for all the luxury you want in the world. 
for a nice home and a vacation home and five cars and even a private jet. So basically whatever you want, you want servants, you want this, without a million dollars you can have it. The question is why people that already have 100 to 200 million dollars, they are more greedy to money than someone who only have one million. They kill themselves to make much more and another deal and they work and they stay in the office until 8.39. What is it? Why would you want to gain more? If we say that it was for pleasure, you have now all the pleasure in the world. So if you have all the pleasure in the world, why would you continue to gain and save more and more money? The answer, there is one kind of people that the only reason they want money is just to save it. Not to use it. They have tons of money, but they live like homeless. They are not angry for pleasure. They are not materialistic. They can drive a little old car, they're happy with that, they live in a tiny apartment, they're happy with that, they wear a hundred dollar suit, they're happy with that, they have a fifty dollar watch, they're happy with that, but they have two hundred million dollars in a bank account. I know a few people like this. They are the most simple people. You would never believe, never believe that these people have so much money saved. So the question is why? If they don't enjoy from it and they live like a worker from Walmart, same lifestyle. Why would they run after money like crazy all day, walk and running and meeting? What for? The answer, just for the sake of gaining more money. That's what makes them happy. The more the amount is going, every day they check on the computer, wow, I just made another few thousand. Wow, so happy. Yeah, 100 million. So it became 100 million and 5,000. How did it change your life? It didn't. But it makes him very happy for the achievement. I go up by a few more thousand dollars today. What is it? Power. Sense of confidence. I'm becoming more stable. But you're 80. You're going to die anyway. There's no time to waste all this money. Doesn't matter. It's psychological. It becomes a mental disease. If I tell you that 99% of the people in the world are sick in a mental disease that's called greed, trust me, it's the truth. It's not an exaggeration. That's why so many people are sick. When people lose money, you have to see how they behave, how they're broken, how they cry, how they run, how they, they don't have, they cannot stop talking about it. And they call, and they call again, and they come. Can I meet you, Rabbi? Can you give me five minutes of your time, which become five hours always? The obsession for the money, for someone that wanted to gain money, and all of a sudden he had five million, and in one shot he lost two or three. That's it. It's a death sentence. He doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to wake up in the morning. He's destroyed. But you have another three million dollars. Why are you like this? Most people don't have it. It's not that. You understand what I just lost? I lost two million dollars. This crooks cheated me. stole from me. I cannot function anymore. I have no life, I have no more relationship, I cannot talk to my children, I'm sick, I'm taking volume, I'm taking all kinds of uh, uh, medication. Why is it? Mental disease. A minute before a person dies, he still think about money. How much more I can get? Well, you have one hour to live. Look, the corona is killing you up. Call your children, tell them goodbye. No, no. I have a plan, I'm going to buy this hill, I'm going to knock down the, uh, the apartments over there, I'm going to make a new building. 
That's how people are, רבותיי. אין אדם מת וחצי תאוותו בידו. Even a second before the end, a person cannot let the greed go. I once told you a story that the Chinese, they love to eat brains of monkeys. Chinese and Japanese. It's a delicacy. Delicacy. So what happened? They catch the monkeys. They tie their hands with ropes. They tie them to two trees with their legs so the monkey cannot move. They take a razor while he's still alive. They don't kill him first. They open the scalp, they pull it out, and the brain is out. And they sit with a spoon around him and eat his brain while he's dying. I don't know how can you call these kind of people who do such things people. Animals eat animals, that makes sense. Someone to eat an animal and kill it slowly by slowly by eating his brain, how to believe that people got to such a low level? But it's a fact. That's what they do. I remember this story when I found out about it was 20 years ago. I was shocked. I wasn't 100% sure that it's true. Sometimes people make up stories, you know, you have to check. A friend of mine from the old days was dating a Japanese woman, oh yeah, and was already involved with her in serious relationship. I was worried that he's gonna end up intermarried and will have his children not Jewish, it will be the end of him. I did everything I can to try to save him from that situation, that he should marry a Jewish girl and have Jewish kids. But she did not let go. She was so obsessive, this girl, that she told him, if you leave me, I will kill myself for sure. I don't want to leave. He was working in real estate. He used to go in the morning to the office. She used to come to the building, sit by his door on a rug, on the eighth floor of the building in Manhattan, from nine in the morning until seven in the evening, to wait for him when will he show up, because sometimes during the day he comes. She sit over there because he wasn't answering her call. So one time I told him, tell her, how do you want me to marry you when you come from a culture that your people of your nation eat the brain of the monkeys with a spoon? So he told her that story, she got very angry. But she also confirmed. She said, well, you out of your mind. I'm from Tokyo. We are civilized. This is only Chinese and Japanese from the villages, primitive people. Me and my family don't do such thing. But she actually confirmed that they actually do it. She wasn't a surprise to her. In the end, she did not leave him alone. And he went back with her. And one time when they were together making a scene, he got her angry, I don't know what happened, she moved her head, she broke his nose, and his nose got smashed to the side, you never saw in your life, like a hole in your face. Everything came out, I've never heard such thing. Was such a heat. The whole nose broke completely to the side, he needed surgeries and problem. He said, I got, I got my punishment. In the end, what was the end of it? Rabotai. So they do it, they but the question is how do they catch the monkeys? It's very difficult to catch a monkey. A monkey is very fast. 
even five people run around monkey in one second and jump in the air and go above everyone. How do you hunt them? The Chinese found out that the monkeys love Persian rice. Persian rice. Which exact kind of Persian rice, I'm not sure, because the Persians have five million kinds of rice. You need a doctorate how many different kinds of rice they have. The best rice in the world is Persian. No offense to the Bukharian. But Persians are the master of rice. Everybody knows it. So I don't know exactly which one, the green one, the one with the orange peels, the, uh, the yellow one, I don't know which one. The one with the raisins, but they love Persian rice. So they put it in a plastic clear box, the Chinese, and they make holes on all four sides. Flat holes that a monkey can put his hand in. Put the hand down, grab rice, and he wants to take his hand out, but the hand does not come out because the hole is very flat. And when your fist is closed, you cannot get your hand out of the box. And the Chinese found out that the monkey is so stupid that because he's so anxious to have this delicious rice, he cannot let go of his desire and save his life. So he is going to hold to the rice, seeing all the Chinese people running with the net around him, throwing it on his head, pulling the string, knocking him down, giving him some kind of a shot, I don't know what exactly how they numb him, bringing him to the place to time. All of that, and they see that it's been done to their friends, but they cannot hold themselves for one bite of good Persian rice. Question is, this is dumb monkeys. But are we any better than them? Are we any better than them? Absolutely not. How many of us willing to let go of our desires? Everyone with his desires. Some person love this, some person love that. Someone who loves the beach. This is life. Tell him you have to be religious, you can never go again to the beach. How many will agree? Someone who loves jewelry, that's her life. Tell her you want to be religious, no more jewelry. No more makeup, no more fancy schmancy nonsense, no more jewelry, no more dyeing the hair, no more beauty salons, no more fake nails, none of these things. No more high heels with two pencils in the bottom. None of it. Might as well kill me. Everyone with this desire. Some people, for food, they'll kill. They cannot stop eating. They cannot stop. No matter what. I know one person like this. He was mamash, very big. And he made a surgery. You know those surgeries that they put something, they cut their stomach or they put a ring on the stomach. So he started to lose a lot of weight. Became a much like a different person. All of a sudden, a year later, became just as he used to be. I asked him, how is it possible? I thought that your stomach became tight and there's no, no, no room for food. You said that you eat one or two bites, you're full already. I, he said, no, I found a way to cheat. I lay down on the side when I eat. And the food somehow goes, I guess, from the side of the stomach. And like this, I can eat more. You understand what I'm saying? So a person go and pay thousands of dollars to do this surgery to save his life and save the way he look. 
And all he's busy is how will I go back to my desire because I cannot live without the food. So basically this is what human beings are all about. One person is addicted to food, the other one to drugs, the other one to women, and this one to sport, and everybody with this thing. People that are hungry for pride, ego, attention, they need attention. Do you know how impossible it is to stop a person that likes to talk and attract attention? Tell him be one hour in a room without talking, without show off. Can you go one hour without your show off? A woman that likes show off, when guests come into her on Shabbat, what an unbelievable show she put. Buy the best, most expensive uh, plates, and, 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 and glasses, and, and, and forks, and, and all these beautiful napkins, and uh, she makes everything top of the line, and uh, all day, like she the, the best food. All of that for the one minute compliment in the end that the guest would say, wow, you're the best chef ever. I never enjoy a meal like I enjoyed it. For that one second of glory, she walked three days. Three days! I knew a woman once, many years ago, they're not in America anymore, they moved to Israel. Everyone in yeshiva that used to get married, she's the first one to offer to do Sheva Brachot. Sheva Brachot. Sheva Brachot is expensive. It's not cheap. You have 30, 40 people coming. You have to supply each one of them with a serious meal. Even if you do dairy, it's still expensive. It's going to be two, three thousand dollars minimum to do the whole thing with wines and this. It's expensive. And even if you do something very, very simple, it's still going to be over a thousand dollars with the foods and desserts. So why is she always volunteer or every two, three weeks she does Shema Brachot? Even to Chathanim that she never knew. They just came to the yeshiva three, four months ago. She doesn't know them. One time she confessed. I don't really do it for the mitzvah of helping Chatan and Kala. I only do it for the great feeling of people tasting my food and enjoying my beautiful home and giving me all these compliments. Just for that. Let me kill myself day and night, run, shop, cook, all that, sit up the table, be clean later on. Just for people to go later and say, she is the best Eshet Chaim. Such a tzadeket, look how she makes Sheva Brachot. Everyone will show. Some people will donate tons of money, but in one condition. Only one condition, that it will be public and loud. They will never give anonymous. They will only give if the shul is packed and everybody will see how he screamed 5,000. Quietly, he won't give. Very difficult for someone that gives charity for publicity to convince him once in his life to go and throw a few thousand dollars in the house of a poor man, anonymously, that no one would know. Only Hashem. Very difficult. But the only reason he gives is for the show. He take it away from me, what will I give? That means the mitzvah is the last thing he's worried about. He only wants to be his reputation. We'll go back to what we started. So Abraham Avinu had to circumcise all the servants, everyone. Now you know, in the old days, people used to own servants. 
It wasn't only black people were slaves. There were all kinds of slaves in history, white and black. We are familiar with the black slavery because it was not too long ago. But 2,000 years ago, the Gemara discussed all kinds of cases. Evan Ivri, Jewish servant. Jewish servant. Someone who owe money and he cannot pay is sold to be a servant seven years. Six years and seven, he goes free. So slavery is nothing new. It's something that always existed. When you buy a servant in the market, a non-Jewish servant that offers himself for sale, because he doesn't have a place to sleep and, and parnasa. If he comes to live by a Jew, do you keep him as a goy or you have to convert him? What's the law? Can he stay an Arab, Ishmaeli? Can he stay Knani? Can he stay uh, Chinese, whatever he is? Can he? Or he has to convert as soon as you buy him for slavery? The answer, all the non-Jewish slaves convert right away. And they have a status of a Jewish woman. Meaning, a woman is not obligated to learn Torah. Man is obligated to learn Torah. But the man that is a slave cannot learn Torah because if he's going to be busy learning Torah, when will he walk? It defeats the purpose of slavery. I didn't buy you to go and yeshiva and learn. For that, I don't need you. you can sponsor other Jews who sit and learn. So I bought you to walk, to clean, to do all these things. Therefore, the Jewish, the non-Jewish servant is dismissed from anything that a woman is also not obligated to keep. Mitzvot that are subject to specific time, women and servants are not obligated to keep. So the servant will not have to daven shachrit every morning. He will not have to say Shema Israel morning and evening. He will not have to put filin. Why? Because filin is only during the day. He will not have to put talit. He will not have to learn Torah. Every mitzvah that is subject to specific time is dismissed. Unless a Jewish woman is obligated, like Shabbat, like holidays, even though it's subject to time, the Torah said that they are subject to it and they must keep it. The Torah didn't say it, women wouldn't have to keep the holidays and wouldn't have to keep Shabbat. Abraham Avinu had a big job. He had to circumcise hundreds of his servants. He was a wealthy man, has to circumcise all of them. Among them was this very Adam son, wild beast. He was 13 years old, his name is Ishmael. After Sarah could not have kids, she, tell, she told Abraham, look, I cannot have a kid. Take yourself a pilegish. Who is this Agar? She was a former princess from Egypt. She decided, after she saw all the miracles that happened to Abraham and Sarah, she decided it's better to be the tail of the lion than the head of the fox. Meaning, I can be a princess here in Egypt among wicked people that also the Mara said that they were also very ugly people. I can be a princess in a place of wicked, stupid, and ugly people, or I can be a, a servant in a nation that are chosen, the people of God, and be a servant in the house of this holy man, Abraham. 
What, she, what did she choose? She chose to be a servant in the house of Abraham. Hagar wasn't just another woman. You have to remember when Abraham threw her and Ishmael and sent them with some water and bread to the desert, back then it was all desert, heat, desert. Where you, how, how long are you going to survive? A day or two? Five angels came to him. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the writer of the Zohar, the Kabbalah, the, the, the Roman Caesar wanted to make a decree on the Jewish nation and everyone was devastated. They said, who's gonna go to convince him to cancel that bad decree? And everybody said, Rashbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Hashem does a lot of miracles for him, because he's such a holy man. He is the only one who can convince the Caesar to cancel his decree. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai went there, and on the way who came to him? A demon, a shed. What was his name? Ben Tamalion. All of a sudden a demon came. How are you, <laughs> Give me a bracha. <laughs> a demon also wants bracha. What can I do for you? Don't worry, you don't have to do for me. I came to do for you. What? I'm coming to help you. When you go to the house of the Caesar, you're gonna need me. What's the plan? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai asked. He said the Caesar had a teenager daughter, 16, 17. When we go there, I'm going to jump into her body and start screaming like Meshuggah from her throat. Make all kinds of faces and noise. Drive her crazy. And you're gonna make special blessing to her and after that I'll come out. And the king will owe you so much that for sure he's gonna cancel the decree. And that's exactly what happened. Thanks to this demon, Ben Tamalion, the Caesar saw that Rashbi saved his daughter. He felt awkward to tell him no, the, 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 the decree still remained. So what happened? He canceled the decree. On the way back, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was crying. He said, Look at the difference between me, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the student of Rabbi Akiva, the greatest Jew ever lived, the writer of the Zohar. Hashem wanted to help me. Who came? A demon. Hagar, Hagar, 1500 years before me, the servant of Abraham and Sarah. She was in a desert. Her son is about to die, this Ishmael, the founder of all Arabs, and Hashem sent her five angels. The servant of Abraham, a Goya, not Jew, a woman, a non-Jewish woman, servant, got five angels, thanks to the merit of Abraham. He became his wife. She had a child of Abraham. She got five angels, and me, Rashbi, not only I didn't get five angels, I didn't even get one angel. What did I get? A demon. By the way, this Gemara, it's very significant Gemara. Do you know what you can learn from this Gemara? Let's see who's clever here. What, what logic is behind it? What can you learn from this Gemara? What can you learn? If you're on the way to perform a mitzvah, especially for the public, 
and a wicked person wants to come help you. A wicked person come and say, I want to sponsor it. Are you Shomer Shabbat? No. You eat kosher? No. You married? Yes, to Goya. Your children are in Yeshivot? No, in public school. Why would you want to help me? I want to do a good mitzvah. Here, how much? 10,000. Take. God do good things with that. You're allowed to take from him or not? He wants to help out. You're allowed. Ben Tamalion came to help. Rashbi took his help. Rashbi could have said to him, go, go. If Hashem wants to help me, he can find me someone kosher. He doesn't have to send me a demon. That's the Gemara that the Zionist the religious Zionist Jews use when the Satme Rebbe say, how can you make a partnership with, the, with these wicked communist Jews who came from Russia and Poland to establish Israel as a state of Goim, meaning Jews that will be Goim. We will force them all to be like Goim, like in Russia, communist, We'll make them kibbutzim and moshavim and all of that. The Satmer went nuts. How can it be that people that are religious eat kosher and what and keep Shabbat sit together with these wicked Zionist, communist, anti-God people who wants to turn Israel to Paris or to New York? How did they cooperate with them to make Israel a state? You're not allowed to talk to them. Needless to say, to cooperate with them. What was the answer of those Zionist religious Jews? They say, we have no argument that they are wicked. We also know they are wicked. We're not claiming they are righteous. We know they're Mechalele Shabbat. We know they eat aref. We know they do a lot of horrible things. To marry Goyot, they didn't marry this communist. It was an insult for them, even though they were not religious at all. But, but, there's only one reason we cooperate with them. We want Jews to return to the Holy Land, to build yeshivot, to make Israel at least partially religious. What's better, they stay in exile forever? So for the time being, both of us has the same mutual cause. Later on, we will split. They will go to secular communist lifestyle and we will go to religious lifestyle. And they use this mama to back them up. If Hashem thought that righteous can never get help from the wicked to reach his cause, why did he send Ben Tamalion? But they had another, another proof to, the, to what they do. One more proof. What is it? that there were four people with leprosy that were isolated from the Jewish camp and the Goim were coming to attack the Jewish nation and they were close to them because they were in isolation, in quarantine. And they came to warn all the people. And in the end, a miracle was performed and all these Goim ran away and left all the wealth because there was hunger, nobody had food, everybody was dying from starvation. 
Hashem made all kinds of miracles that there was sound of noise, all this going left, and the four people with leprosy, they saw that they left all chant of food, animals, everything. And they went and called all the starving Jewish people, come, there is food. The goyim ran away, they left lamb and, and, and cows, everything, come over now, you can save your life. And everybody's life got saved. <laughs> Thanks to four wicked people with leprosy. Why do you get leprosy? Because you speak Lashon Aram. You speak Lashon Aram, you murder your friend with your language, with your mouth, with your tongue. Destroy his life. So you're definitely wicked. That's why we have to throw you out of the camp and put you in isolation until you do tshuva and the leprosy stop. So people like this are wicked. Why from all the people in the world Hashem chose to save the Jewish people from starvation by using four wicked people? He couldn't find someone righteous to help them? So from here the Zionists say, you see that Hashem performs some kind of miracles to the religious Jews through the secular wicked people. It doesn't make them any better. They're still wicked and have no shelter to the world to come. But for the time being Hashem used them. That's why Hashem used President Trump to help the Jewish people. He is far from being righteous. He is a Christian, so it's an idol worshiper. His arrogance and personality was totally against what the Torah recommends. But he was a supporter of Jews and supporter of Israel, an anti-radical Islam. Mamash like a Mashiach. Some foolish Orthodox people say, Donald Trump equal Mashiach, God of them, Gimatria 424. As stupid as it may sound, it's 100% nonsense. I will just show you how dumb people could have become just because they had one guy that finally supports Israel. Best president ever when it comes to relationship with Israel. But can you say he was righteous? No, he's lucky. Because now what he did for the Jewish people will help him a lot when he's going to stand in front of Hashem. The idea is that you see that sometimes Hashem uses people that are not righteous. It's hard for us to understand why. Because Hashem could always choose righteous people. But for whatever reason, he does what he does and we not always know why. Talk. Hashem comes to Abraham Avinu when he's 75 years old. And he say to him, I need you to move out of your city, out of the house of your father. His father is an idol worshiper selling statues to the whole goyim over there. His name is Terach. This Terach was a very wicked person. How many parents you know that they have a child and the child refused to bow down to the king? The king Nimrod declared himself as a god, just like Pharaoh did. I am a superpower. Everybody has to worship me. He had the clothes of Esau with the fat that Yaakov put on himself when he came to get the blessing. And he's very strong in a war, and everyone is scared for him. And he said, anyone who will not accept me as their master, must be turning into my hand that I should kill them. And what did Terach did? Instead of covering for his son, he actually 
turned his son Abraham into the hands of this Rasha. Do you know a worse father than this? Do you know? How can it be such thing? Nimrod threw Abraham Avinu into the fire. That's one of the ten tests that Hashem gave Abraham Avinu. Miracle. He threw him into the fire and he did not get burned. He didn't get burned. His brother Haran got burned, but he didn't get burned. After everything, Hashem saved Abraham Avinu from the end of this Nimrod. Terach, besides being a cruel father that turns his son for dead, trying to fight favor in the eyes of this wicked king named Nimrod. Nimrod means Nimrod, let's rebel against God. Believe it or not, there are a few thousand foolish Israelis that their name is Nimrod today. It's a common name in Israel. They have no idea what it means. They don't know who they name after. It's like some Jew that never heard about the Holocaust and his parents call him Hitler. And everywhere he goes, he breaks about his name. Oh, a nice name. What's your name? <coughs> Adolf. Adolf. Crazy. Why? What's wrong with that? He killed 20 million people, Adolf. <coughs> oh, I didn't know that. They don't know. They have no idea. You ask the secular Israelis. Tell me, you know what the significance of your name Nimrod is? No idea. Even some traditional parents call their kids Nimrod. <coughs> Why? They have no idea. Nimrod was the one who organized a war against God. Let's repel against God. There's a big Rasha, Machti Arabim. And Terach, same ideology. Sell idols to people. One time he asked Abraham, can you stand over here and watch the idols until I come back? He said, yes. When he came back, all the idols were smashed and one big idol had a stick in his hand. Abraham took a stick and put it in his hand. And his father came and saw all the statues that he made were all smashed. He said, what happened over here? He said, one woman brought Shulet. The, the smell was so delicious, they started to fight. So this big one took the stick, smashed them all, and ate all the Shulet. What could I have done? I was afraid of him. Look how big he is. His father told him, listen, you fool, where are you getting these nonsense stories? They can't move. They can't hear, they can't see, they can't talk, and they definitely cannot move. How did he eat them? How can they eat Shulet? Sabah was a kid, little kid. He said to him, your ears should listen to your mouth. You just admitted they can't move, they can't eat, they can't see, but you sell them as a god? You meet them yesterday in your backyard and a woman come and buy a god from you? The world is way before this god. How the world was made? Abraham started to fight against his father. He saw that he's a potential risk for the whole family. He turned him in. In Israel, you know that the families of the Arab terrorists, 99% of the time, support their children's actions. They want to kill Jews. They're not different than their son. So how come many times they call the Israeli police to turn them in? When they found out they're about to blow up some place tomorrow, they are the ones who call the police and say, my son is about to blow up this restaurant. He has all the explosive. They, so they're going to pick him up. Please, 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 and arrest him. Why they do it? 
they hate Jews just as much as their murder and son. So why would they offer help to the Israeli to save Israeli life? The last thing they want to do is save Israeli life, obviously. They hate Jews, they're Nazis. So why are they doing it? Because one smart law was made in Israel in the last 60 years. One. Not more than one. One. Thousands of Saddam laws, one finally normal law. That if a terrorist lived with his family and he came out of that house and went and killed Israel, innocent Israeli in anywhere, first reaction is to knock down his family's house. This house cannot remain. They're afraid so much that they gonna come and blow up their house with all their stuff and everything. So for that, they're willing to turn in their terrorist murderer son. Without that, in your dreams, they will tell you, come arrest my son. <coughs> Same thing over here. Terach was afraid of Nimrod. Ah, if Nimrod will find out that I have such a son that be declare a war against him and doesn't accept him as his God, it's going to bring problem to me and to my business. Let me show him that I'm a faithful citizen. After all of that, Baruch Hashem, Abraham Avinu realized there is a God, He saved me, and I have to spread the monotheism in the world. When was that? What year was that? Abraham Avinu was born 1948. What happened in 1948? Huh? State of Israel. State of Israel. But we're not talking about the same one, one uh, 1948. State of Israel is according to the Christian count, 1948. It was like seven years ago. Here we are talking 1948 from the creation of the world. The world, the Gemara say, is divided to three thirds. First 2,000 years, two. Mess, lack of order, nobody knows anything. The world is like a zoo. Middle 2,000 years, what is it? What's the middle 2,000 years? Torah. What's the last 2,000 years? Salvation. The Mashiach will come in the last third of the creation. First third, Andrelamusia, complete mess, lack of order. Middle 2,000 years, the middle fair, Torah. The divine knowledge will be spread. The last 2,000 years, it will be the salvation, the arrival of the Mashiach, the resurrection of the dead, and the purification of the world, which we are very close to those days now. Abraham Avinu was born 1948. What age he started to teach about God? How old was he? Who knows? 52. 1948 plus 52, exactly 2000. So the year 2000 to the creation, the mess was finished, over, the zoo. The lack of order, the ignorance is over. Now people are about to hear about the one God, the creator of the world, the master of heaven and earth and to dismiss all the idols. 
There's to stop bow down to the stars and to the trees and to statues and to animals. That's when Abraham Avinu started to make Baalei Tshuva. The first Machsir Betshuva was Abraham Avinu. Who is the first Machsir Betshuva in modern days? In our days. The one who started the movement of Kiruv. Who knows? Ruven Elbaz, the Rosh Yeshivat Or Hain in Yerushalayim, very good friend of mine. He gave me a great endorsement to my books. Big, huge tzaddik, heart of. It's an insult to say that his heart is out of God because it's a million times better than God. He has about 200 institutions in Israel, kindergartens, Shiva Ktana, seminary for girls. Whatever, you cannot count. The impact he had as a, in the beginning, nobody even knew about the concept of doing kill. Who would ever dare to go to a secular communist anti-Toran, make him a bad shuva and bring him to yeshiva? Who would dream such thing? He did it. He also did it by the Israeli jet pilots. Some of these heroes, fighters, they became Baalei Tshuva, left the Air Force and went to his yeshivot. And he does it until today. He has yeshiva in Yerushalayim, you go, you see hundreds of Talmidim. Baruch Hashem, I had this hood. Dozens of my Talmidim, Baalei Tshuva is learning them. Some of them became big rabbis. So he was the first one in modern days. Ruven Elbaz, when he was a little kid, little Ruven, his father came from Morocco. His father was a worker in the field. What did he have? Nobody had money. That was before Israel became a state. One of the biggest rabbis in Israel of those days was Rav Kook, the founder of the Zionist religious movement, what we call Tati Leumi, Kippot Srugot. That was the first one. Big Chacham. His ideology was the total opposite of Satmer. All the ultra-Orthodox world had a different opinion about what needs to be done. But he was a unique opinion. Join the wicked to, to establish the state of Israel. All other Rabbanim was against it. They all did not want anything to do with his Rashaim. But he said, we have no choice. We have to establish Israel, that's a priority. One time his wife, look from her window and she see a bunch of workers in a very hot day in a, in a field, walking in a field. She see from her window. She decided to go bring them a water, some cold water. When she comes and pour water for them, she saw one of them is very sad. Very sad. She said to him, sir, are you okay? You look very worried to me. He said, how can I not be worried? I came from Morocco a month ago. They put me to work over here. They took my two boys to a place called Kibbutz. I don't know what this place is, but someone told me it's a lot of wicked people over there. They don't keep Shabbat there. They don't eat kasher. How can I not be worried? My two religious boys now, who knows where they are? She asked him, do you know the name of that kibbutz? He told her the name. 
She asked him if I will take a bus and go there. And I talk to your kids and ask them to come to my husband's yeshiva. They will agree? He said, of course, what's the question? They love to learn Torah. They're good tzaddikim. Okay, give me the address and I'll go. She took buses, not one, one or two or three, few buses in Israel to switch buses. She went to that kibbutz, she came to those two kids, and she said, I spoke to your father. I want to take you to my husband's yeshiva. Would you like to come or you would like to stay here? So, no, of course, we hate it here. Nobody is religious. These people are not Jewish. We want to come. She said, okay, I'm taking them. They didn't want to mess with them because her husband was a chief rabbi. After all, they let, they let her take them. One of those two kids is Rav Ruven Elmas. So now, imagine how lucky this Rabbanit is. She wasted the day of her life to save two neshamot of two Jewish boys. And she got lucky. One of them made thousands of Baalei Shuvah and 200 institutions of Torah. Everything that came out of him keeps going to her account forever. That's what I tell all my sponsors. In this world, you don't ever understand how big is the merit that you said money and I turn it into Baalei Tshuva. Yes, you feel lucky, you feel satisfaction, you think, wow, one day I'm going to have a lot of schuyot, but you do not know 1% of 1% of 1% of what's waiting for you. If you would see just one Baal Tshuva, how many trillions of mitzvot he will create for you, him and his children, what? You would have, you have to stand a million years and say, thank you, Rabbi, for agreeing to accept this money for me and turn it into Baal Tshuva. In a billion years, I can never say thank you enough. Today is the other way around. The rabbi has to take the wheel. Should have been the other way around. The Gemara said, a rich that supports the poor. Who helps who? I ask everybody, they say, well, the rich helps the poor. Without the rich, you'll die. The Gemara said, exact opposite. That's the divine truth. You can say whatever you want, you can bark as much as you want. There's only one truth, what Hashem said. Hashem said, the poor save the rich. The more you give him, the more he saves you. Without him, you would be in hell for all your sins. This zakat that you give him will save you. Abraham Avinu was the master of chesed. He built an hotel with rooms, with a kosher restaurant. Everybody eats for free. He's a very wealthy man, Baruch Hashem. All day people come in and eat. Imagine in the middle of the desert. What does it mean, Vaita Avram Eshel? Eshel, Achila, Shtiya, Lina. Achila, Aleph, Shtiya, Shin, Lina, Sleeping, Lamed. Eshel. In Israel, motels are called Eshel, meaning Achila, eating, sleeping, and, uh, and drinking. So everybody comes, eat, sleep for free, in one condition. What's the condition? Bless God for the food. Who is God? I have my God here. Take a statue from his bed. Here is my God. Ask this garbage to the garbage, take it to the garbage. There's only one God. What are you talking about? My father told me this is our God. That's garbage. Who made it? How can it be your God, you fool? Piece of copper. 
I can be your God. Oh, you're right, you're right. Doesn't add up. You're right, I always wonder. <laughs> Every Christian I ever spoke, besides few, they told me, you know, I'm so happy I, I found you. You finally answer all my dilemmas and all my doubts. I always had those things when I was a kid. I never understood why this religion is so stupid. Until I heard you, everything I thought and much more, you opened up my eyes, you gave me the guts to live it. I always was afraid to live it, maybe there is something there after all. But you opened up my eyes to show me that it's a man-made foolish religion. That's what Abraham did to these people. He made them all bad tshuva. Abraham was teaching the men, Sarah was teaching the women. You have to understand the world was a lot more modest than today. You will never find a woman dressed provocative. Even a hundred years ago, see pictures from the year 1900, how women used to dress in Israel, in America, in South Carolina. Every woman was wearing a tent. A tent, you know how wide is a tent? That's how she was dressed. Look, at I show you hundreds of pictures. I put in my social media pictures of goyot, non-Jewish women. How they used to dress. You look at pictures from the Western Wall. 80, 90 years ago, how all the women are dressed. Even single women covered from head to toe with the hair also. The world obviously became a zoo, became sad or worse. It's a different world today. But back then, there was no such thing. A man will give a speech to a girl or speak to her. Avram to the men, Sarah to the women. Even Noah and his wife any three sons and their daughter, they had separate entrance to the ark. Noah and his three sons, and their four wives, separately. Why? Modesty. Modesty is above everything in the eyes of Hashem. That's why I tell some women, they already keep Shabbat, they eat kosher, they even donate, they do good things, they retailing, but they dress like a man, wearing pants or tights, or miniskirt, or short sleeve, or open, or cleavage, and all these things that they do. Every second I walk in the street, they accumulate sins, because every man who looks at them, it's a sin to their account. Another one, and another one. The prettier they are, the more, the more sins they get. The more attractive they are, the more sins they get. She feels great before she leaves the house. Ooh, I look great. She thinks, wow. I look so good, I lost weight, my clothes, that makes it very tight, provocative. One day when she see how many sins she gained because of that, she will never ever forgive herself for all these shows. It's never. But it's lack of, uh, lack of knowledge, it's ignorance. That's why the Torah is very strict. HaKadosh, make sure you're holy. So HaKadosh Baruch he loves Abraham. Why? Abraham, my servant, he called him. Abraham Oavi is my lover. He made a hotel all on the house in one condition. Pray to the God that gave you the bread. Slowly, slowly, people begin to follow the monotheism. You know, that's why even the Arabs admire Abraham. They believe in one God. They're not like Christians. They have God and a son, which is a violation of the Ten Commandments. The Arabs have a problem with you should not kill. Christians have a problem with you should not have any other God but me. Either one of the two make them lose their share to the world to come. If they murder, that's that penalty for them, for the Goyim. And if they worship an idol, it's also that penalty for them. 
and both of them lose their share to the one to come. So it's either way it's bad. Being an Arab, supporting murder of uh, Jews and Europeans and all kinds of Christians, that's against the, ten, the seven laws of Noah. Following somebody besides God, it's another violation of the seven laws of Noah. Either one of them is death penalty. Also stealing. Goyim that steal also death penalty. Jews that still don't have that penalty. They have to give back the money and they have to pay double. But other than that, there's not that penalty. But for the Goyim, it's a serious violation. You have only seven laws and you dare to break that? Seven laws only? Now let's see how many things we learn from Abraham Avinu and Hashem. First, sometimes you don't have kids. You live in an apartment, you got married, you move there, five years, seven years, no kids. My wife is mother, she goes to the mikveh, you keep Tarat Mishpacha, you keep Shabbat, you pray to Hashem, your husband goes to shul every day, he learns Torah, beautiful religious home. It doesn't look like they commit some kind of a violation that Hashem is angry at them, then for that he doesn't give them children. So what could be the case? Sometimes it's the house, the neighborhood. Over here, I do not want you to have a child. So until you move out of here, you will never have kids. This is what Hashem said to Abraham. Abraham was 75. Lech lecha. He said to him, Lech lecha. What's Lech lecha? Go for your own good. Lech, numeric value 50. Lamed is 30. Half is 20. Lech, it's 50. 30 plus 20. Lecha, it's also Lamed and half. Also 50. What did Hashem say to him? Lech lecha. It's 100 in numeric value. For your own good. What does it mean for your own good? When you will be 100, you will have a child. Right there in the words of Hashem, Lech Lecha. What does it mean, Lecha, Lamed Chaf, Le'eretz Knan? Abbreviation. Lamed, Le'eretz, Chaf, Knan. I don't tell you where I'm taking you, but I'm hinting to you. Why did Hashem did not want to tell Abraham where he's taking him? I want to ask you, if you come and say to your son in the morning, your American spoiled son, son, today it's Sunday. I'm taking you to a Yankee game in Yankee Stadium. Will he hesitate if to come with you or not? He would run like a tiger. Two seconds later, he'll be waiting in a car by mistake that you don't take him. If you tell him, son, today you come with me, where? Doesn't matter, you'll see later. That could be to shul, it could be to shiur Torah, it could be to work, it could be to help me with collecting some boxes. It could be a lot of things, the boy doesn't know. And he still comes with his father, just with the same enthusiasm like he came to the baseball game. When did the boy deserve a bigger reward? When he actually came so counting on his father, whatever, whenever you take me, I'm with you? Or when you told him in advance, I'm taking you to a baseball game? Does he deserve a reward for agreeing to come to a baseball game? <laughs> he was waiting for it all week. Imagine he comes at night and he say to the guest, my son is such a devoted son. I asked him to come with me to the baseball game and he agreed. 
They're going to be hysterically laughing. What do you know, man? That's the dream for him. All this nonsense. Folk. Why wouldn't he agree? If you tell a person, tonight you come to Betelial, Monday night. You have two options. Downstairs, disco. Party. Bukharian party. Delicious food. Great meat. Unbelievable Ashpolo. Great whiskey. And beautiful music. Upstairs, annoying speaker. Screaming. Make you feel guilty. Make you feel bad. Send you home depressed. What do you choose? Go downstairs. How many people you have down there? I didn't go there, but I would sign a hundred. Huh? Do we have a hundred here? No. Why? People rather have fun. They don't rather live by the truth. That's why fun comes before the truth. If it's fun and truth, of course I'll grab it. I'd rather fun with the truth than fun without the truth. But fun it must be. No fun, the truth doesn't exist. That's the world. That's why it's all about this. Everything, this, that, everything. As long as I enjoy it, I'm willing to do it. So Abraham Avinu, Hashem said to him, go to the place I will show you. It doesn't tell him where. But Abraham goes with no, with no question asked. But I don't understand. Hashem said to Abraham, I'm doing it for you. Over here you will not have kids. The place where I'm taking you, you will have kids. This is one of the ten tests that Hashem gave to Abraham Avinu. Can anyone explain to me where exactly is the test here? Where is the test? If someone is living in New York 25 years, and Hashem say to him, I want you to move to Ohio, because in New York you will never have kids, but in Ohio you will have kids. And he begins to make the move. Is this a test? He wants kids, he will move to Honolulu, to Zimbabwe, to the moon. To whenever he has to move. If that's the price of having a child, I'll go there. What's the test? What is the test? Someone has a, a cloudy heart, arteries. And he said tomorrow you have to come to the open heart surgery. And he shows up. That's a test? You don't come, you die in three days. Oh, look, he, he agreed to come and suffer the surgery. Look, what do you mean he agreed? That's saving his life. So where exactly is the test? The answer is, Rabotai, Abraham did not go because Hashem told him he's going to have a kid over there. That's not the reason he went there. Abraham went there because Hashem said so. That's why it's a great test. If Abraham would go because Hashem told him over there you're going to have a son and I'm going to multiply you and make you a huge nation, as the Pasuk said, then the Torah will not hold any credit to Abraham for that. It would not count in the list of the ten tests because even me and you would do the same. If Hashem comes to you and says, I'm sorry, you don't have kids over here, Move over there, and over there you will have kids, and I'll make you a billionaire. And then big nation will come out of you. There is any question if I would move or not? Of course, I would run there. What's the question, Bichlal? Do I deserve a credit for it? Someone tell you, move out of New York and you become a billionaire. 
Where should I move to? Texas. I don't like Texas. You make a billion dollars there in one month. Oh, I walk to Texas. I will walk if I have to. Why do I care about Texas? I care about a billion dollars. Do I care about where I go? I care to have children. For that, Abraham will not get any credit. Let's not be stupid. The greatness of Abraham that he always did what Hashem said because Hashem said so. Why do it? What does it matter why? Hashem said I have to do it. That's it. No, no other calculations. That's why Hashem is so impressed by Abraham. I want to tell you, you know, the Jewish nation one day will have the days of Mashiach, the Messiah. The Jewish nation has to make Aliyah to Israel before the Mashiach will come. Or they can do it after he will come. What do you think? Can we wait here in New York, live religious lifestyle, try to do chesed, learn Torah, work on fixing our midot and raising our children in the best possible way? And one day when we hear the Mashiach Shofar is starting in Yerushalayim, we will make arrangements to make Aliyah. Is it a condition that we must be in Israel before the arrival of the Mashiach or we miss the train? What do you think? From time to time, you hear speakers that say that if you won't come to Israel, it will be too late for you after Mashiach. Are they right or they do not have any source for their claim? What do you think? The answer, they are totally wrong. Getting saved from Mashiach has nothing to do with where you're going to be living when he comes. If you are righteous, you will be saved. And if you are wicked, you can live in Yerushalayim. You can live by the Kotel. It's not going to help you. You won't get saved. Of course, living in Israel is a higher level of life, spiritually, because you breathe the holy land there. And every time you walk there, it's a mitzvah, because you live in the house of God. But the responsibility of not making sins in Eretz Israel is also greater. If you make a sin in New York, the punishment is less when you make the same sins in Yerushalayim. You should know that. Why? Because if you make a sin in the backyard of your uncle, or you make a scene in his living room, when will your uncle be angrier at you? That you did it in the middle of his living room or that you did it in the backyard by the grass there? Where would it be worse? The answer, when you do it in the house of the uncle, it's much worse than when you did it outside. Same thing when you make a scene in New York, is outside of his house. The house of Hashem is the holy land. Eretz Hashem Rene Hashem Elokech Abba Mireshit Hashanah V'ad Acharit Hashanah The eyes of your God is focusing on that holy land from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. It's a clear verse in the Torah. Meaning over there, don't dare to mess up. Don't dare. When people died, according to Kabbalah, it's a mistake to take their body into the holy land. It contaminates the land. Why are you bringing dead bodies with impurity? 
If they die in Israel, we bury them in Israel. But if they died outside, why do you bring dead bodies into Israel? According to Kabbalah, it's a, it's a bad thing to do. Let me read to you something interesting. A lot of people think that the Jewish nation has to wait and not do any act of saving the Holy Land from the hands of the Goyim. Where did they get these ideas from? He's talking about Satmer. Satmer said, don't go to Israel, don't live there, don't speak Hebrew, wait until Mashiach come. When Mashiach come, he'll get rid of all the Goyim, and then he will give us Eretz Israel without one gunshot. Now one drop of blood. No war, no nothing. When Hashem wants to give it to us, it will come on a gold ladder. The other people say, what are you talking about? Everything we ever got was through a battle. Hashem told us he's going to take us to the Holy Land. Four years in the desert, it was full of struggle. Finally, when we came to the land, we had to fight the Goim, the seven nations. It took seven years war. Seven years! Plus seven more years to divide the land to the tribes. Fourteen years of suffering for a gift from Hashem. Torah. Hashem said, I gave you the Torah. I want you to be all the Chachamim. Learn all my Torah. The more you learn, the holier you become. The better your eternal life will be. The higher your level of the soul will be. But it's very hard to break your head, to understand Marat, to understand Pshit. You have to break your head again and again and again. And there's thousands of books, so much knowledge. You learn seven years, you still don't know one percent. So, why does it have to be so difficult? When Mashiach comes, 80% of the people will die instantly. 12 million people, just like it happened in Exodus of Egypt. The salvation will be cleaning all the wicked Jews from the face of the earth. Now one of them will survive. Now one Mechalel Shabbat will see Mashiach. Not one gay will see Mashiach. Not one big thief will see Mashiach. Not only someone who accidentally didn't pay fully here and there once in a while, but in general is an honest person. Talking a professional crook. There's no chance to ever see Mashiach. How many religious people will be shocked when Mashiach will throw them out of his face? Get out of here, I don't want to ever look at you. You crook. You know, I went to a, a Brit Milah this week and uh, after I finished the Brit Milah, it was Sunday morning, one guy came to me, can I speak to you? I was already about to enter my car. Brit Milah was in the morning, it was by now around 11-ish and I was about to leave. The guy came to me, so right away that he's in stress, pain, started to talk to me. Tell me how two people in real estate stole three million dollars from me. He made them, he trusted them, he invested by them, they stole all his money. He worked 20 years to save his money, 20 years. Day after day, night after night, struggle, more and more. And he now wants my advice what to do. As we talk, from the story, I realized that these two people are people that I made them by Alek Shabbat one years ago. Two partners. I made both of them Shabbat Shabbat, they were like Goyim. 
וביקר שומרי שבת, they come to play nets, they walk with big yamaka and big ציציות, they pretend to be each one of them the Baba Sali, until yesterday morning when I saw them, I thought to myself, wow, what a huge reward I'm going to get for these two. And their entire family and children are all in Shivot and everything. It's more than 10 people between the two families. I had, I was thrilled to see every time I saw them. Especially when every once in a while one of them is to be chazan, to pray. After I heard what they did to this person and to another few, again, he told me they did to this guy, to this one, to this one. Apparently for 20 years all they do is they steal money from people. That's how they make their money. And I promise you that they live in illusion that when Mashiach comes they will actually see him. These two crooks. Can you believe it? In their dreams. It's written clearly, who is going to come in the mountains of God, meaning when the third temple will be built? Who is going to be, be able to show his face? That will be after the Mashiach would come. Only someone that is in is clean from stealing and from killing. Blood. No blood on your hands. Neki kapayim uvar levav. Sheherit Israel, Sheherit Israel means the leftover among the Jewish nation that will be left after the Mashiach will clean the world, will not speak lies, will not deceive, and will not have hands full of stolen goods. Those are the conditions. So it's a clear verse. The Mashiach comes only for real Baalei Tshuva. We say it every morning in a prayer. Uvaletzion Goel. Only to those who return back from their crimes. No more. I can show you hundreds of sources in the Gemara, in the Chumash, in the Zohar, in the Rambam, everywhere. We don't have the time now. I did it over the years in other lectures. I have a whole lecture just about it, two and a half hours. Days of Mashiach, resurrection of the dead. You should listen to it. How people can live in such a conflict? Get up every morning, come to shul, and, and the nets, all these things, and in the end, stealing people's life. People walk years for their money, just in one shot, stealing it from them and laughing their face. Those are the most reshaim of the time. People with a heart of rock. They do not have a heart, these people. Very nice, Yishomer Shabbat, and eat steaks, and delicious rice and sleep on Shabbat and eat shulet and come to the synagogue and enjoy the beautiful chazan how we sing and meet all your friends. For that? Ah, ah I'm such a tzaddik. If you are a, a Syrian in Flatbush, you come to any one of the synagogues, they have the best chazanim in the world. It's a show. It's heaven. You come, you listen to David Shiro, Mustaki and uh, all this, the best chazanim in the world are just in Flatbush. Maybe five, six of them, Hamra and a few others. I, I can't think about all of them right now. These five, the best one in the world, are all in a five miles area. There's any better pleasure? 
If I would live there, I would want to be in a shul Shabbat from 8 in the morning until 8 at night, just to listen to them all day. It's the best avenue, such voice, and they, they, they take you to Shabbat out. When you listen to the voices and the way they sing, and all the makami, it's mamash heaven. So imagine, you come, you enjoy the Friday night. Then you come to your beautiful home and enjoy the best food, and friends, and family, and in the morning the same show. And again a great meal. And then you learn Torah, which is very interesting with the Chachamim. And you rest. And you come again for another meal. But then in the end you go and you steal money from people and destroy their life. What are you thinking? Shomer Shabbat. Yeah, very nice that you agree to come to listen to beautiful davening. And you sleep and you eat very good delicious food. Very nice. But what about murdering people? When you take someone's money, it counts like you murder him. Count like you murder him. That's why it says, In Judaism, the word blood and money is the same word. Da. Damim. Dmei Chanukah. Soon it's going to be Chanukah. What do you give to the kids? Bloods of Chanukah. Blood? Maybe you cut your wrist and give your children your blood on Chanukah. Blood means money. Money means blood. To make a thousand dollars for one person is one hour, the other person is ten hours, and the other person is two weeks. So when you took a thousand dollars, it counts like you murdering for two weeks. This, this poor guy works very, very hard all day for hundred dollars. You stole from him a thousand, you took ten days of his life, and you will be judged as a murderer. That you murder him for ten days of his life. People can live in such conflict. And this has come from all the fakeness that we see out there. No faith. No faith. Hashem need you to be a thief to give you parnassah. That's what you think that by cheating and stealing and destroying families, this is how you're going to make a living. Sometimes I mix secular Israelis from the kibbutz. Complete reshaim, atheists. Don't believe in God. Don't believe in the Torah. Eating rabbits. Eating crocodiles. Eating worms all day and all night. But straight like a ruler. You give them money, and they tell you, I'll give it to you Monday, two five to two, they're waiting to give you the money. They won't cheat you, they'll be honest with you. They can live with themselves, they still from they are actually better than, than these two crooks who sing in the davening with all their show. You have to know that every person has a different Yetzirah. Obviously these two have a Yetzirah of honesty. And, and you know, on, on stealing, that's the Yetzirah. Somebody else that is naturally honest doesn't have this Yetzirah. Some people, if they will steal, they'll suffer. They won't be able to live. Every day will bother them. They won't be able to sleep knowing that they have someone else's money. My father was like this. Never ever in his life took a penny from anyone. He didn't know how to lie. He never lied once in his life. And he didn't ever touch something of someone else. But that was his nature. 
It was always like that, very straight from a young age. My aunt told me, you know, my father was always like, since he was a kid, he just didn't know tricks. But then you have another person that all he knows is tricks, deceiving, cheating, lying, manipulating. It's not fair to compare someone who's naturally honest to someone that has big fire to steal and cheat all day. It's not fair to compare someone who is addicted to women and has this desire and someone who is not bichlal. Even one is too much for him. You cannot compare. It's like comparing apple to pears. It's not a right comparison. So that's why you don't know how a person struggle until you be in his own shoes, Chazal said. But everything has a limit. If a person is still here and there, no, said there is not an angel. But to make it a way of life, to take people's life, that walk years and save money, hundreds of thousands, and tell them, come, invest with me in a deal, and then cut them out and take advantage on them, and then laugh in their face and don't answer the phone for six months. And if they finally show up and caught you by surprise, you're going to threaten them, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to get a gun, I'm going to shoot you. The crook has complaints about the person that he steals from. That's called in the Torah, Aratzachta Vegam Yarashta. Not only you murder, you also steal the field. Leave the field to the children. You just made them orphans. No, I want also the field. Which one of the two you will get a bigger punishment? For killing the father or for stealing the field from the orphans? That's a big question. Big question. Because in the Torah, the divine logic is not always the, the, the human uh, logic divine. It's not the same. Because Hashem said to the Jews in the Torah, Most of my anger is when you deny your sins. When I tell you, Shabbat, shame on you, you criminal. Nah, who are you? Uh, uh, it's no problem. Hashem loves me. I do a lot of mitzvot, covering for his crimes. The Torah says, Mechaseh peshav lo yatsliach, umodeh veozev yerucham. Someone who tries to cover his crimes will never succeed. Don't, don't waste energy. It must come out sooner or later. The more you're going to wait, the more it's going to hurt. Because you already forgot about it. It will catch you by surprise. The, the nerve that you have to deny your crime and say, no khatati, for that I'm going to give you a bigger punishment than the actual crime. Yes. That's what you should know about that. A lot of people don't know these things. It's written in a tefillah, a verse, Bonei Yerushalayim Hashem, Nidchei Yisrael Yechanes. Where does it say it? Psalms 147. Tehillim, chapter 147. Almost in the end. The last two pages. What does it mean? Hashem will build Jerusalem and then gather all the exiles of the Jewish people. So what will come first? Mashiach will come and build Bet HaMikdash and then all of us will go to Israel? Or we will have to first be in Israel before Mashiach come because otherwise we won't make it then. Based on this verse, what do you understand? Meaning, 
Jerusalem will be built, Mashiach will be there, and later he will gather all the Jews, come join Bet HaMikdash. So, here you go. You just got an answer to all who claims you must come, you must make Aliyah. Not so fast. Ask your rabbi if you should or you shouldn't. Some people should, some people not right now. Depend on the kids, depend on how they go in school, depend on Shilomai, depend on your condition, depend on your parnasa, depend on when you want to move. Some people want to move to a religious place, but they can't afford it. Israel became fire, the prices. Fire! Houses in Bet Shemesh are sold for 7 million shekel. Houses like here that it's eight, nine hundred thousand are already more than double. In Bet Shemesh, it's not in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, your house is for five million dollars. If I want to send me an address of a house in Jerusalem, thirty million dollars. House in Jerusalem, private house in the whole city, thirty million dollars. More expensive than Park Avenue's houses. Not everybody can afford religious neighborhoods. And if they can, they have to go far away to the end, to the south, to the north, very far from the center, far from everything. Over here, they may have good condition. What happens if you move there and your wife will be in depression? Just that alone will destroy your family. When a woman is unhappy and she cannot function, everybody falls down with her. She is the heart of the family. Do you know how horrible it is to live with a wife that all day sad and cry and depressed and barely talk and barely have desire to do anything? Lay on the couch like, like a bar because uh, she feels that like she's broken from inside. And today we live in such a weak generation that people are very materialistic. Materialism can crush a person mentally. Many people used to be wealthy and lost their money. Mentally they became crazy. Many of them need medication. Many of them kill themselves. Why? They rather die than to be poor. In your generation, people were strong. Life was not like today, so much luxury. People that used to be very, very religious a hundred years ago, the poorest people today have better life than them. Someone who lived with seven children in a one-bedroom apartment, still have bathroom, have electric, have toilet paper, have food that you buy from the supermarket ready to go. The rich people hundred years ago, they lived in tents, in cabins, in wood houses, with leaves, with wind, with freezing weather. They had to chop trees to make fire. There's no bathroom. You have to go in the middle of the night somewhere in the field to do what you have to do, even if you're the richest guy in town. Life was not like today. In Afghan, they had to go on a donkey, on a horse. There's all kinds of pirates and robbers and problems and bad animals. Life was a lot harder back then. If you would show a person the way he was rich 100 years ago, and today you give him an option, live today as a poor person, in America or even in Israel, or the rich guy used to be in your past life over there, he would choose to be poor today after you compare the life of the people, right? It's a condition, eh? Imagine, today I have sewer. All the dirt go to the sewer. You know, in the old days, you know how much you had to, to get the, all the dirt and to go dump it somewhere. You had to go bring water from the well. If you live up the hill, you know how difficult was it? You had to buy water of the, to, send, to send some kid, give him some money to go bring you water. 
people is to take shower once a week at best case scenario. That's why the Gemara compliment Hillel Azaken that he used to go and take shower every day and students used to follow him. They asked him, Rabbi, where are you going in the middle of the day you leave yeshiva? I'm going to do a big mitzvah. They were curious. They followed him. What was he doing? Filling up a bath and taking a shower. Which was it? Unheard of. What? Every day a shower? That's a big mitzvah? Yes, mitzvah to be clean. Mitzvah not to be smelly. Mitzvah not to be sticky. Mitzvah not to have greasy hair. Mitzvah not to have clothes with holes and ripped. Mitzvah not to have dirty clothes with all kinds of stain. Mitzvah not to have dangerous all over your jacket. Mitzvah not to have horrible smell from your gums and from your teeth. Mitzvah not to eat raw garlic and kill everyone around you in a radius of one mile. <laughs> Even if it's very healthy. Why are you eating raw garlic at 6 a.m.? Rabbi, that's what kept my grandmother, my grandfather in Bukhara. He lived a hundred years. Because every day he had raw garlic at 6 a.m. He lived a hundred years and 50 people died every month. <laughs> Why? You have to care about other people. You have to care about other people. Bottom line, you cannot do Chilul Hashem. So, it's written that the Mashiach will be Yerushalayim and then Hashem will gather all the Jews into Israel. Who's going to build Bet HaMikdash, the third one? Who? He made a leader. Mashiach. Then, after that, it will be Kibbutz Galiot. The Zohar said that the building of Bet HaMikdash will be even before the building of Jerusalem, which I don't see how it's going to happen, because Jerusalem is already big. So, capital city. But the question now is, what's going to be first? There will be resurrection of the dead or the building of the temple? The dead people will wake up and participate in building the temple or they will already come and it's going to be built and ready for them? What do you think? In the end of Parashat Chayesara, it's talking about Bet HaMikdash will be built before the resurrection of the dead. Meaning, Mashiach will come and we'll start building Bet HaMikdash. Those who want to run to Israel to help will do it. The other ones will come later on. And then the dead people will rise from the grave after. Right? So Bet HaMikdash is before gathering the exile and before the resurrection of the dead. In Midrash Tanchuma, it says, Jerusalem will not be built until all Jews will return back into Israel. So it looks like a contradiction. First, everybody has to come to Israel, and then they're going to build Bet HaMikdash. The Rambam say Bet HaMikdash will be built only in the end of the salvation, the process. First, it will be gathering, the Mashiach will gather all Jews, and then together we all build Bet HaMikdash. 
One way or the other, the reason I brought you this is because speaking about Abraham Avinu going into the Holy Land and Hashem promising that He will give him the land to him and his children. One way or the other, either if you go like the Rambam and the Midrash Tanchuma or you go by the other opinion, one thing for sure, after Mashiach will come, Jews will come to Israel without a problem. So if you ever hear someone who tells you if you don't come now to Israel, it will be too late for you. Because after Mashiach come, you won't be able to come, smile, and move on. There's no source for it. What is the source? Mashiach will gather us one way or the other into Israel. One opinion before the temple will be built, one opinion after it will be built. It doesn't matter so much. But one thing we do know, that we will be able to go to Israel after Mashiach will come. There's only one problem. By then, a house would cost $150 million. Because every day goes up. Today they published that houses in Israel went up 9.2% this year alone. 2021, so far. 10% Rabotai. A million dollar became a million, uh, 1.1 million. Two million dollar became 2.2 in one year. Keeps going higher and higher. If it will happen a few more years, after Mashiach comes, you know what's going to be the price of real estate? Who will be able to even get catch a flight? The answer, allow me to relax you. Since two-thirds of the people in the world will be wiped out in a second, there will be a lot of money left. <laughs> All the money, and there's going to be so much houses. So there will be real estate, so maybe the prices will go down. But if the prices will not go down, I still have something else to comfort you with. The Rambam said that after Mashiach come, wealth will be like collecting sand from the floor. So if a house would be a hundred million dollars, I'll collect a little bit more sand. That's the problem. So remember, Rabotai, no panic, just be righteous. That's it. Be righteous, that when Mashiach comes, you will be able to show your face. Last thing for today, last thing for today, it's written that the shepherds of Lot and Abraham had a fight. The shepherds of Lot, they are not honest, like their master. He's a crook, they are crooks. The shepherds of Abraham are influenced by their master. Abraham is very, very strict and honest. When the shepherds of Lot eat from all grass that they see, even from private properties, the shepherds of Abraham say to them, excuse me, why do you let your sheep eat grass from people's private property? That's stealing. The shepherds of Lot say, what do you care? God promised Abraham that the land will be him, his. And Abraham does not have anybody to inherit him. So who is going to inherit all this land? Lot. So what difference does it make if we eat the grass now or in 10 years from now when it's going to be his? Anyway, it's all going to be his. Good point or no? Stupid. If you're the only son 
and your father has a nice mansion. But that's his. Are you allowed to go and steal it? Saying, anyway, it's going to be mine in 10 years, so what's the difference? Let me start stealing chandelier, start stealing all kinds of furniture from there. It's going to be mine one day. Nonsense, right? Now it's not yours at all. Stealing 100%, even something that's for sure you're not going to be yours. You steal it right now. But you have to know, as it says that Lord joined Abraham, in the beginning, in the beginning, it says, Vayelech Lot Imo. Then after that it says, Ito. Who can tell me the difference between Imo and Ito? Do you know what's the difference between Imo and Ito? Both of them in modern Hebrew means you went with someone. But what's the difference between Imo and Ito? Imo means that you go with someone and you both go for the same cause. You and your friend go to save your friend from jail. Both of you go for the same reason, for the same purpose. That's called Imo. I will join you because we both go to do the same thing. Ito, I go, Ito means I go with you to the same place, but both of us have different agenda. You go there to do one thing and I'm going there to do the opposite thing. I'm not telling it to you. I am going with you to the same place, but for completely different reason. That's a divine language. Every word has a significance. In the beginning of the verse, it said that Lot went Imo, meaning for the same purpose, with Abraham on a tree. In the end of the verse, it changed to Lot went Ito. And Sarah also went Ito. Sarah did not want to go. Abraham had to convince her. The question is, in the beginning of the verse, Lot went Imo. He wanted to go with him for the same reason. And then in the end of the verse, something changed. Now he's going, but he doesn't really want to go. What changed? In between, he heard that Hashem said to Abraham, Don't worry. Eliezer, your servant, will not inherit you. The son that will come out of you, your biological son, will inherit you. Once Lot heard that, here goes his inheritance. Why, the only reason I wanted to go is to, to, to protect my money. But now when I heard that Hashem is going to give him a child, what reason do I have to go? So he said, no, no, Abraham, on the second thought, I don't want to go. And Abraham had to convince him to go. Lot looked exactly like Abraham, also Yitzhak, twins. How can it be? There was no old age yet. People did not get old. You looked like 20 until the minute you died. Young, healthy, and handsome. You don't get wrinkled, you don't become old. You always, so Abraham and Yitzhak look the same age. Same face. Lot also look like them. So when they say to Lot, when you guys are stealing, people think that the servant of Abraham are stealing. You're making us bad reputation. So, Abutai, Abraham said to Lot, if you go to the left, we have to separate. If you go to the left, I go to the right. If you go to the right, I go to the left. In taimin asmila. In tasmila imina. The Gaon Mirina say. That's the secret of the Maaseh. 
You have to give 10% of your net income to become wealthy. That's a guarantee from Hashem. If you give 10% of your net income, you will be for sure one day very rich. Why? Hashem said, test me. I allow you to test me. You give 10% from your net income, I guarantee you'll be rich. Trust me on that. Don't ask questions. The question is, Rabotai, what's the connection between Asmeila and Aimina? The Gaon Mivina say, if a person wants to put the data machine on the left side, it becomes Measer. Measer. Mem, Aim, Shin, Resh. But the dat is on the left side of the Shin. How do you pronounce it? Measer. Measer means give 10% of his net income for charity. So Hashem moved the dot from the left to the right. In Tasmin, if you put the dot on the left, Hashem said to the Jew and to the Goyim, I will move the dot from the left into the right and I make you me'asher, I make you rich. You put it on the left, I will move it to the right and make you rich. But if you want to make yourself rich by not giving charity, so you put the dot on the right, Measher, I will move it to the left and leave you only 10% and take 90% away from you. And that's what happened to a lot of foolish people. They think by cutting out from charity and donations, now they're gonna make more money. So as soon as business is beginning to struggle, the first thing they cut is what? Donations. Wrong. Huge mistake. The donations are the wheel of the carriage, the wheels. If the carriage got stuck in the mud in a swamp, you, you have a lot of heavy stuff. You have to start throwing things from the carriage. Hopefully the horses will pull it out. But what happened if you decide, you know what, the wheels are heavy. Let me get rid of the four wheels like this, the carriage will be lighter. Maybe we'll be able to come out of the mud. That's a fool. That's the people that cut the donations. If anything can save your life, it's zakah. When business is bad, double your charity. You made a million dollars a year. Year of Corona, bad problem, you went down to half a million. You used to give 100,000 charity, give 150 now. What do you mean? My income went to half a million from a million. Give more! Show Hashem I trust you. All the money in the world is you. In one second, you give me everything back and more. I'm 100% in your hand. You cut my income, I'm going to give more charity. You want me? I'll pass the test. But people, unfortunately, first thing business goes a little down. Rabbi, this thing didn't make so much. We have to cut the donation by 50%. People who don't have what to eat, understand. Don't have what they might have still money to give charity. We're not talking about this kind of people. Sometimes people write to me, Rabbi, I hate to stop the $50 a month monthly recurring donation. They cannot donate. Why? I lost my job. Cannot find a job. I'm living for my saving now. Okay. Somebody like that is afraid. But someone who has a lot, business went down a lot. I mean, big deal. It's going to go back up again. Life is like this. Go up, go down. One day you're here, one day you're there, and then and again you're there. The Reichman Brothers, they're the biggest real estate, real estate company in the world. 
maybe 50 years ago they gave Rav Shach a check for 100 million dollar donation. It was over a billion today, much more, like, like three, four billion today in one check. Donation to Rav Shach for all the Yeshivot, for Ponovich. At one point they lost everything. Olympia in New York, Google them. The biggest real estate company in the world with buildings all over. They lost everything. Everything was taken away from them. They went back to square one. And what happened in the end? They got everything back and became even bigger than before. Against all odds. Same one who took it, same one who returned it. Why? They were always generous in stock. Giving, 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 giving. Comes the satanic test. Let's see now when income went down, let's see if you're going to continue to give. Of course I will give. Even more. What do you do, Moshe? You're not as rich as you used to be, so what? I want to give more. Anyway, we're going to be out of here soon. Life is going to be over. What I give, I take with me to the eternal world. Before I lose it also, I might as well wire it to my next world. You have to know how to think about that. That's called Jewish Ashkofa. You want to know how to think? Buy all the books of Ravavid or Miller, Zatzal. Learn all of them from the beginning to the end, especially questions and answers. And that's when you will understand how far all of us are from the actual divine truth. And how many mistakes we do every hour. And how many mistakes we did and continue to do. And what will be the consequences of our stupid mistakes. The faster you learn it, the better you get saved. Because you're going to change. The more ignorant you will stay, the worse you're going to pay the price later on. There's not a shame. I hope people will take my advice. People who already took my advice already reported to me that it made a drastic change in their life for the good. Changed them completely, the way they think, the way they feel. It's a fantastic remedy. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen. Rabbi Hananiah ben Akashiyahu.